0: Mariette, welcome to First Up. It's Rapa, Wednesday the 7th of December, Cor Nathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, we find out what happens if the court is granted guardianship of a baby whose parents won't let him be vaccinated with blood from anyone who's had the COVID vaccine. And if you find yourself famished after a big night out, do not turn on the stove, especially if you've had a few. We talk to a chef who's come up with recipes that don't require cooking.
1: It's got to be delicious, right? It's got to be like all the things that people crave. A bit of salt, a bit of sugar, a bit of something that tastes fried, you know, something a bit naughty for when you've, uh, you're have you hungry and you're cooked essentially. So yeah, we just put something together that kind of hit those notes.
0: Everybody, we have a packed dance card for you this morning. Uh, Also, I think it's quite exciting. Have a listen out for those uh, recipes that don't need cooking and uh, a bit of space for the South Island. But uh, we begin with this story. Indonesia's government has passed a very controversial new law which bans sex outside of marriage. Now, this applies to both locals and also visitors to the country. The BBC's Valdia Baraputri reports from Jakarta.
2: People are still protesting in front of the Indonesian parliament building even though the new criminal law already ratified earlier in the day. Now under the new criminal law, sex outside marriage and cohabitation before marriage are punishable with imprisonment of up to 12 months. Now sex outside marriage under the old criminal law was already ruled with imprisonment of up to 9 months but only the married person spouse who can file the report. The new criminal law targets uh, unmarried couple because parents can also file the report to the police. So not only government keeps the law, increase the punishment, and also targets more people. And this uh, articles under the new criminal law are not only applied to Indonesian, but also foreign visitors. However, articles on sex outside marriage and cohabitation are not the only articles that are controversial under this uh, new criminal law. There are also articles on insulting the president and government institutions that are entirely new and punishable with imprisonment of up to five years. The government says the public can take the articles they see problematic to the Supreme Court
0: that was Valdia baraputri reporting it is eight past five we go to the Middle East now where uh, most of the quarterfinals of the 2022 soccer football World Cup have been found um joining no semi we should we're just about on our way to the semis aren't we joining me now from the center of it all is Alex Baird in Doha morena Alex I know that today yep. Morocco plays Spain so is this quite a big big game for the Arab world they're like come on let's go Morocco.
3: Yeah, so we're into the fifty-first minute, and we're still nil all. Now, Morocco is the last Arab nation um, in the World Cup currently, which is a big—it's a big deal because you know it's the first time that the World Cup is being held in the Arab country. So I think there's a lot of hope being put onto Morocco. A the, the lot of, um, for those who don't know what the flag looks like back home, uh, it's a red flag with a um, with a with a green star on it, and you've been seeing it all around the city. And I think a lot of Arabs here even if they're not Moroccan are really cheering their t- cheering the team on because they're just hoping that someone from this region can get through to the to the semi-finals because you know it'll be the first time well it'll, it'll be a big deal the first time um, a World Cups held in the Middle East and at the same time that an Arab country is in the semis
0: I know that uh, we'll get to some of the uh, news news there in a second but uh, coming up Portugal versus uh, Switzerland you'd think Portugal they would be too strong right
3: well, you know, I've been reading some of the predictions online and they're saying that they're fairly evenly matched teams. So they, they've already faced off each, each other twice this year um, in the Nations League and they won one game apiece. Uh, so I think it could be anyone's game at this point. But you know what? Uh, we've been having a number of upsets. We've been having a number of upsets in this World Cup. So who knows? It's, it's really difficult to say now. I think the only upset that we didn't have was with Brazil yesterday if anyone watched that game, Brazil really beat the Koreans hard. It was quite upsetting to watch, really. It was just goal after goal after goal. But, you know, we have had a number of upsets, so a bit hard to um, to choose, I think.
0: I think something feels good with the world. Something feels correct with the world, though, when Fiji are great at sevens and Brazil is great at football. It just it just feels that way whether they're a chair for them or not. Let's let's jump into uh, some of the other news that's been happening there in the Middle East, though. Um, Iran's prosecutor general says that the morality police have been suspended. So is that actually official, do you think?
3: Yeah, So the attorney general has definitely said that the morality police are being suspended. But the important point here is that the law that mandates that women need to wear the hijab in Iran is still there. So you could argue that maybe normal police will now mandate this law. They'll be the ones implementing it. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of images coming out of Iran of women walking around, especially Tehran, not wearing the hijab at the moment. Which it's a pretty brave move, but be move because it is still uh, illegal to do. Women are supposed to wear a hijab and wear loose-fitting clothing. Now, there's been a bit of uh, a bit of flack around this because some people have been saying that the attorney general's saying that the morality police are being suspended. It's just kind of putting out some good news to, to, to westernize especially, and in fact doesn't really mean that much. But I think it's already always important to look at the other side of things here too, because for months and months we've been seeing these protests going on since the death of Masa Amini, who died in, in the Morality Police Custody for wearing a hijab incorrectly. And since then we have seen increasing protests, we've seen the state cracking down increasingly violent, violently. But we haven't seen anything being given by the Iranian regime. We've been seeing no ground being given. Now, even if this is sort of lip service, this this word from the Attorney General, the Attorney General has also said that they're considering uh, reviewing the law on the mandatory hijab. I still think it's an important moment that the state is showing that they are willing to move ever so slightly. I don't think this is by any means a reason to applaud them because it's taken hundreds of people dying 15,000 people being arrested, uh, death sentences being handed out to actually get to this point. But I think this is an admission by the Iranian regime that they realize these protests aren't going away and they won't go away until they actually move and give the protesters what they want, which is, as we said last week, it's their motto, women, life, freedom. They want women's rights. They want to be able to have freedom to live their lives and the freedom to actually be alive. So I think it's an important moment for Iran. You've
0: got to be very brave to protest there because I see in Syria, protesters, at least two of them, have been um, killed storming a government building. What what were they protesting?
3: Yeah, so this is the Syrian city of Sueda in a Druze city, which is interesting because um, this is also the religious minority that Assad, the president, belongs to. This is around the cost of living and the way life is at the moment in Syria, but this is pretty rare, especially and areas that are controlled by the government. Now, you've got to remember that a huge part of the country, especially northern Syria, isn't under control of the Syrian regime at all. Ever since the Syrian civil war broke out, there have been kind of a, a mix of the Turks, a mix of uh, different groups aligned with, 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 with different kind of nations such as Russia and Turkey. And... Um, this is a rare example where people in an area of Syria that is controlled by the government were fed up, they stormed a government building, a couple of people were killed, and it's, just, it's not something we hear of happening very regularly. Um, so I think an interesting moment for Syria, especially um, being from that religious minority group. Dear
0: Alex, thank you very much for your time in Doha. That is Alex Beard. It's 13 and a half past five. We're being very exact here at First Up on RNZ National. We go to the United States now, where voters in the state of Georgia head to the polls this morning in a runoff election to determine who will represent them in the US Senate. It's actually a very, very key vote. This So going up against the Democrat uh, incumbent Raphael Warnock is former football player, Republican Herschel Walker. Uh, This is the last seat to be decided in the midterm elections. And joining us from Washington, dc to break it down as our correspondent kate fisher Morning, kate
4: good morning
0: why, why does georgia run its elections this way
4: well yeah it's uh, it is a bit complicated that a 50 percent threshold is needed for you to win outright in georgia and if neither candidate gets that then it goes to a runoff with the top two candidates, which is what's happened. It has—it's kind of a, actually a vestige of racist legislation. It was introduced in the 1960s by a staunch segregationist legislator who wanted to essentially break up the black vote so that uh, white. People, the white candidate would essentially always win. And even now it has, even though we've got two black candidates in this election, it still um, makes it, it more difficult for whoever is in the minority to win. Uh, so and and it would it's a, most people voting for Herschel Walker. Most Republicans tend to be white. Most Democrats tend to be black. Obviously, that's a big generalisation, but at the moment, therefore, it's it's the this law favours Herschel Walker, the Republican candidate.
0: Okay, so the president is a Democrat. What's at stake for Democrats in this runoff election?
4: Well, you know they already have control of the Senate, the upper chamber. They've already got that power. They don't actually need this seat to uh, have uh, the, the, the balance of power in the upper chamber, but they argue it is still crucial. It means they would have outright control. They would not have to rely on the deciding vote of the Vice President Kamala Harris when they're trying to get legislation through that has no Republican support. It also means they would have control over the Senate committees and the ability to ensure that the president's picks for judges are confirmed. And also, crucially, it showcases another failure for Donald Trump in that Donald Trump, the former president, has endorsed herschel walker and if herschel walker doesn't win it gives momentum to the democrats uh, going forward and gives republicans more concern about a, poss- a run presidential run for donald trump which he's already announced
0: yeah i saw herschel walker was on the second uh, series of the apprentice uh, i think it was called the apprentice wasn't it the show that donald trump hosted i think it's where they met so tell us a little bit ab- uh, about these candidates
4: yeah, two very different men. Herschel Walker, as you said, a very successful former football player. Uh, but he has, um, there's been lots of controversy surrounding him in this race. Allegations of that he committed domestic abuse, that he paid for abortions or for ex-girlfriends, despite the fact that he's running on an anti-abortion stance. Uh Raphael Warnock is a senior pastor at the Martin Luther King Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Of course, Atlanta is where Martin Luther King was born. So they both represent uh, these two really kind of central parts of Georgia. uh, The University of Georgia football team, where Herschel Walker was one of the most famous players. And Raphael Warnock speaks a lot about Martin Luther King when he's on the trail. Uh, Very different parts of Georgia being represented. Uh, but both really central to, you know, how Georgians identify themselves.
0: Well, I mean, look, we know that President Trump is uh, very much backing Herschel Walker. So it's a two part question. Does his backing still matter anymore? And secondly, has Joe Biden got involved in, in 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 this election or is he setting it out?
4: Yeah, this is really interesting. So you've got current President Biden and former President Trump usually you'd expect on such an important race that they would both be involved and it is not the case because neither of them are particularly popular uh, for these voters so the Republican Party has essentially asked President Trump not to go to Georgia they do not want him standing on stage with Herschel Walker because they see him as a negative in campaigning and they're concerned that uh he, his presence there will actually motivate more Democrats to come out or more people who just don't like Donald Trump to come out and vote for the Democrats. So he has stayed away from this race and President Biden has done the same. He is not that popular in Georgia. Uh, Raphael Warnock has not been discussing and, and trying to like, run on President Biden's policies. Instead, he's had former President Barack Obama on stage with him in Georgia at his rallies. So interesting that both former, most recent former presidents have not been involved in this race and are staying away. Uh, And as I said earlier, if Raphael Warnock can win, it's a great plus uh, for the Democrats as they face a a run by President Trump in 2024. And if uh, the Republicans win, it will give President Trump's race a really big boost because up until now, he's been seen as somebody that will actually not help turnout voters.
0: Kate, thank you so much for your time. It is super interesting around there in Georgia. That was Kate Fisher out of Washington, DC. It's 19 past five. I'm Nathan Rarere here at First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, we will have details soon on how you can name a penguin. It's already called a penguin, but, you know, give it a specific name. And we talked to a chef who's come up with recipes that don't require cooking, which is a very good thing as they try to get people to stop turning on the stove after a night out this week on trade me a rare ferrari that would look great in your skyline garage for christmas and penguin chicks are about to be released into the main population at auckland zoo you can be there and have a hand in naming one but first we know he loves his garden but did you know that jerry brownlee also really likes cake trade me's ruby Topsand tells producer jeremy parkinson all about the mp's secret summer skills
5: and it's a gorgeous looking christmas cake isn't it
6: oh it's perfect it's like the the it's like my auntie would have made
5: yeah it's glazed to perfection it's just incredible looking if you are a christmas cake lover this is a listing for you also, must be setting some kind of record. Have you ever heard of a Christmas cake selling for at least six hundred and fifty-five dollars? Because that's the current bid.
6: Yeah, no, um, it, it's a, it's quite an incredible bid, and it, it's the perfect Christmas cake. I have to give it to Jerry. He's really knocked perfect. one out of the he's knocked one out of the park here.
5: Um, yeah, I am blown away, and so is. So, are 42 other people who have bid at least on it. And it's got 204 watch lists as well. But in saying that, it doesn't actually close until Thursday night at 8 p.m. So, imagine that we're going to see some higher bids than that yet. But, yep, $655 for Jerry Brownlee's Christmas cake, with all of the proceeds going to the local Black Ops charity shop in Blackball, where they uh, help the locals there and great cause to get behind and to have an incredibly expensive but truly gorgeous Christmas cake. Uh,
6: also this is a cool one that my daughter would absolutely love. It's an uh, auction raising funds for, for conservation. It's a chance to work with the penguins at Auckland Zoo.
5: Yeah it is and this is actually the latest in a series of Auckland Zoo trade me listings and they are always pretty cute and pretty special. This one gives one lucky bidder the chance to spend a morning one of Auckland Zoo's bird keepers and penguin experts and hang out with the wee penguins. So this is actually for three people, so, that, so the top bidder can take a couple of friends or family along with them. And pretty flexible on dates, but it does note that the winners would want to be visiting the zoo before the 18th of December because, as expected, the chick is growing, so get in while it's cute and small.
6: And you also get from a short list, you get to choose the name of the bird.
5: It's got seventeen bids so far, so the experience is currently sitting at a thousand, which is probably a pretty fair price. I mean it's quite a hard thing to put a price on.
6: Yeah, and four um, days to go that finishes when? On Saturday.
5: Saturday night, that's right, and 135 watch lists here, so it is getting lots of attention, and and of course it is because it's a a baby penguin, so that one will be worth watching, and if that's something that you want to perhaps buy for somebody for Christmas, that's a wonderful cause to get behind with all the conservation work that they do too.
6: And our car auction this week isn't raising money for charity. It's raising money for someone who loves Ferraris. this uh, I'm constantly amazed at the types of cars people have sort of locked away that you never hear of because you're not, you not—you mm-hmm. sort of don't move in those circles. This is a 1968 Ferrari 330 GTC. Now, this is a very rare car, especially in New Zealand, but in the world, there, there must be less than 400.
5: Yeah, and I love in these listings when the history of them is spelt out in the listings descriptions too, so this one yeah sold in 1968 in Virginia, the USA. Sold to a New Yorker who owned it for four years. Second owner was a Canadian who actually the engine overheated for them and it had to be sent back to the Ferrari dealership and the engine was replaced. And then the car remained with him for another 25 years. Third owner had it for 18 years and then the current owner that's listed it now purchased it in New York in two thousand and eighteen and did a little bit of well actually complete restoration um and completely stripped it and resprayed it. All sorts of work gone into it that is detailed in that listing. But it is in fabulous condition. It's a beautiful kind of ice grey colour. It's quite understated in a in a sense, isn't it? But the price isn't but the price is certainly (laughs) not understated. It's seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars.
0: That was trade me's Ruby Top Sand. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It is the seventh of December. Uh, this is this day of our life. It's a happy birthday to a man who uh, was given this nickname by a newspaper, and he took with it. He took it and ran with it. The hit from French Lick, Larry Bird, a basketball player from French Lick, Indiana. Uh, It's also happy 73rd birthday to the gravelly-voiced Tom Waits, and also Noam Chomsky. was born on this day in 1928, of course. Uh, I think Noam Chomsky leads the league in books that you've pretend to have read that you have on your bookshelf. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Born on this day on 1928 in the East Oak Lane neighbourhood of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Let's have a look at uh, a a birthday here of someone who's left us. Louis Prima was born in uh, New Orleans in Louisiana in 1910, and currently this song is absolutely huge with the high school kids. This is Louis Prima. Here
7: we go.
0: It's amazing now. They've got access to all the music. Louis Primo was also known for providing the uh, original voice of the orangutan King Louis in the 1967 film The Jungle Book. Clarence Nash was born on this day, who was the original voice of Donald Duck. Of course, Donald's name is Donald Fauntleroy Duck. And apparently Nash auditioned because he saw that they wanted uh, an ad there. This Disney studio was looking for people to create animal sounds for its cartoons. And he sort of made a little duck noise. And Walt went, you, you're the voice of the duck. So there you are. And on this day, Apollo 17, the last Apollo mission launched for the moon. The crew took the photograph known as the Blue Marble as they left the Earth. And the American astronaut Eugene Shurnan was the last human being to have a foot on the moon. And that might be changing soon. We've got a space story coming up. But yes, bit of uh, Louis Primitive. to play you out here. Happy birthday to you, Louis. Ananzaki is with me. Kia ora, how are you? Morena, very well, thank you. Nearly at the end of the week. Yeah, nearly there. but a Louis Prima for the business team as we go. So tell me this: um, what's this New Zealanders lose record amount in internet scams? What are we doing? Is this or is this
8: buying NFTs? What? <laughs> hey. Well, same thing, right? Same thing. Oh, All right, uh, well, yeah. We'll yeah. Keep, keep that on the down low. Um, yeah, look, nine million dollars uh, lost in internet scams in just three months. Uh, quite a quite a figure that we have. Uh, CERT NZ, uh, which is uh, which stands for Computer Emergency Response Team, uh, they said uh, the number of scams went up three percent in the three months ended September, but the financial loss is up a hundred and twenty eight percent. They've been keeping records since twenty seventeen, and this is the biggest quarterly loss they've seen so um, it's not getting better um, now cert director rob pope uh, he hopes that this number would actually inspire people to be uh, more careful about their online security uh, most people are losing uh, between 100 and 500 which is a lot for most of us uh, you know there were uh, also 12 reports of losses more than $100,000, which is just incredible. Uh, So one of the reasons uh, behind the large losses is uh, an increase in unauthorised money transfers, uh, unauthorised access and scams involving sales and donations. Uh, Cert say, you know, scammers know that we're coming up to the holiday season and people are looking for bargains. Uh, So they're telling everyone to be cautious when online shopping Uh, A biggie they're saying is use two-factor authentication. I have to say, uh, someone once tried to use my card a while back, and if it wasn't for two-factor authentication, I wouldn't have even known about it. So a real lifesaver that one. Well, there we go. See, it's the insurance. Get it, everybody.
0: Also, too, if you would like uh, an extra uh, just level of security, just send me two hundred dollars. I'll give you the email address. There you go. That was a test. That was a test. There we go. Hey um now this one here real estate agents say fewer people are turning up at open homes. I think yeah, you know and um it's been interesting because houses have been selling themselves the last 10 years. I'll be interested to see how the real estate agents go in the next 6 months or so.
8: That's right. Uh, You know, the market went berserk, didn't it? Uh, People uh, just had FOMO, as they say. Uh, They didn't want to miss out on the market uh, just going crazy, and they didn't want to miss out on their chance of buying a house. Look, the Reserve Bank will be happy about this. The survey of the sector workers by the Real Estate Institute and Tony Alexander shows Uh, A net 48% are seeing uh, fewer people at open homes. Uh, This was in November. Uh, That's compared with uh, just a net 3% in October. So a big jump there. Uh, And nearly 40% of agents say uh, there are fewer people at auctions as well, uh, compared to 10% in October. So uh, a real uh, change coming through here. Uh, And the survey also found that first home buyers have pulled back from the market, uh, but they are still more interested in buying than investors who are looking for bargains, uh, but it is getting harder to find a bargain at the moment.
0: Mm, Thank you uh, very much. Uh, You can hear more from the business team this morning on Morning Report at 1027. Let's see how your money market is doing for your New Zealand dollar if you go out and shop with one. You can buy 63.34 US cents, 94.22 Australian cents, 60.27 Euro cents, fifty-one point eight eight British pence, four point four two one, and eighty-six point three five Japanese yen. Now a live look inside the world of sport with Barry Guy Barry, Barry. What, yeah. is our, uh, what are the current football score? I was going to say scores, but there's one. What is the
9: current football score? Morocco, nil. Spain, nil. Ooh! <laughs> uh, Morocco's the last uh, African team uh, standing at this World Cup. Uh, Spain, of course, the 2010 champions. Uh, it, uh, there's only been a half a dozen shots on goal, but Spain have dominated possession in the second half and Morocco appear to be holding on a little bit now and maybe waiting for a breakaway or for it to go to extra time and penalty kicks uh, later the winner of this game will play in the quarterfinals Portugal against Switzerland uh, that should be a, a good game later this morning so just recapping the quarterfinals so far Netherlands against Argentina Croatia against Brazil and then uh, England against France and I did note that Kylian Mbappe missed training for France today he's uh, apparently recovering from something. They didn't say no. what it was, so uh, don't know if that's any concern for the French. And uh, the big news, uh, when the Australians, the Socceroos arrived back in um, Australia yesterday after their loss to uh, Argentina in the round of 16, uh, midfielder Cameron Devlin, who used to play for the Phoenix, didn't play a hmm. minute of the tournament whatsoever, was showing off his Lionel Messi shirt that he got after the Round of sixteen game, he ran on. He said he did go and say um, the commiserations to the rest of the team, and then he headed over to Messi and asked yeah. about uh, getting the shirt. So uh, I, I, uh, I know yeah. f-
0: I know a former All White I used to do a football show with, and he said no one moved faster on that day when we played Brazil than the trying to get over and get certain jerseys that you wanted. And he said and there was even, but just before kick off, he goes, was lining up, going, do you, do, you want, do you want to swap? Do you want to swap after the game?'" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he said, "When you get subbed off, it's horrible, but." Because it's not that you've been subbed off for the game. Guys get really mad because, you know, when there's about seven yeah. minutes and you're subbed off, you're like,
9: no, I'm going to
0: be too far from the field
9: to get his shirt. So. Ah, as long as you got priorities right. I do like that, eh? Yeah. And, Morocco um, nil, Spain nil. It's the uh, latest 15 minutes to go. And Eddie Jones looking for a job. Yeah. Um, mm. I, I see they're looking to recruit from within over there. Um, so, uh, then that's quite a big call. It you is. Know, a year out. I mean, he's not done a lot wrong. Um, But I I get the feeling perhaps he's, uh, uh, England have said um, uh, sort of the way they want to go and he's probably disagreeing with it in a way and he said, you know, and so they've just come to an impasse. Uh, But uh, was it you that were saying that someone's? The US is keen on him? Yes, yeah, yeah. The US
0: are keen on him to give him two World Cup cycles worth of pay, which is a lot of money. Uh, Apparently, he is a relentless emailer at like two in the morning of video clips and what have you. And uh, a lot of them say, do you know what? You can last about two years with that sort of intensity burning and then it's just too much. So he's been there a long time by the sounds of it. uh, And Mm -hmm. maybe that's maybe it's just gotten to that.
9: Yeah. Might be. Year out from the World Cup, though. I know. Well, you know, they might get that sort of a bounce effect or whatever it is from a new coach coming in. So. Um Uh, Good luck to them. Cheers. Thank you very much. Keep your checkbooks away from
0: Razor. Thank you very much, England. And that is Barry Guy, who we we have on the sports desk for you to bring you the very latest When It Happens. Well, this is a a, um, really interesting story here. Fire and Emergency are back with a new campaign which is aimed at stopping intoxicated people from burning their house down when cooking food after a big night out. It's called You're Cooked and it involves an online recipe book with easy meals that avoid the stove and oven. Jamie Roberts-Johnson is the head chef at Everybody Eats in Unihanger and was tasked with putting the Your Cooked cookbook together. He told me how he got involved with the initiative.
1: I was actually contacted by Motion Sickness, who were doing the creative direction on the the project, and funnily enough, I actually... I know one of the guys just from my hospitality career. So actually it was quite a fun project to be a part of purely because we all had the same sort of idea behind being real and honest with it instead of coming across like we're telling people off.
0: But I mean, I guess it's hard because you want to ride that line because as well as being you know, a cookbook here for delicious food, there's also a huge safety element for that. I saw this, what, one in four fires come from the kitchen there. Um, so, I yep. mean, yeah, no joke here, right? So the thing you've gone for is what meals you can prepare with a lower risk of that happening.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So the, the main brief was just don't use the stove. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is, this is going to be a challenge because I was like, Having to uh, sit back and think as like, what did we do in our twenties? And some of the things I thought of, I was like, oh yeah, we definitely used the stove like we were terrible. We were really terrible. I will say that. And uh, going from that, I was like, it's got to be delicious, right? It's got to be like all the things that people crave: a bit of salt, a bit of sugar, a bit of something that tastes fried. You know, something a bit naughty for when you've uh, you're hungry and you are cooked essentially. So yeah, we just put something together that kind of hit those notes and just from stories from friends that, that were just like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, I can see that, I can see that. So we collaborated all these ideas into a big <laughs> idea box, basically, and just... <laughs> I I went nuts and just started throwing all these recipes out. And this is interesting, though, because, I
0: mean, as a chef, you know, you're used to working with with the finest of tools. And in this case, you had to go, right, let's take all this (laughs) stuff out. We're going to use that microwave. We're going to use other things like this, right? So uh, no ovens, no stovetops allowed. How did you make do?
1: Well, I've been a student before. So, you know, I'm I'm pretty familiar with uh, packet noodles Um, (laughs) and I've also been a chef for 26 years. So coming home, you know, late nights after work, you don't really want to wake up anyone. So you're trying to be quite quiet. Right. So with my job as well at the moment with everybody eats, um, the challenge there is coming up with meals from food that would have gone to waste. Right. So I kind of used that hat that I wear for that job. And was like, right, okay, so we're going to do some thinking. So we sat there at home with my partner and we were having a good chat about her student uni food late night and my student uni food late at night. And then it pretty much flowed pretty well because we were looking at all those things that we didn't have in our apartments or houses. Hmm. So that made the food and the dishes a little bit easier to put together.
0: So I'm thinking too. I mean, if you've been out for a night of revelry, then you want some eating there. I guess you don't have to worry too much about plating, do you? The thing you really want is that bit where people put it in their mouth and go, "Oh,
1: mm, what I wanted, right?" So, what, <laughs> you, know, you know, what what sort of recipes are you are you looking at there? Well, one of my personal favourites, and I'm sure a lot of chefs that have worked with me know that this is my pretty much my Achilles heel as a human, is the chug it sandwich. Basically, it is a chicken nugget sandwich with some iceberg lettuce, mayo, and some bread. That stems from that McDonald's trip that you'll see some people doing in an Uber and getting themselves a chicken. So that one is definitely a favourite one of mine. Yeah, it's definitely a favourite one of mine.
0: <laughs> and, and I mean, this came about, ironically, at a, at a time after you'd decided to go sober, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, lockdown. The first lockdown, I was with my my fiance at the time, um, who's now my wife, I was going through some some personal stuff as well. I had um, some news and I was trying to grieve in a, in a way. And uh, obviously with my personality, I've been able to escape a lot of my personal problems in the kitchen. So I didn't have that. So I was sitting at home trying to figure out what to do. And I noticed that even though it wasn't me drinking vast amounts, it was the fact It was how I was drinking. I was sitting there and like I noticed the difference in me compared to a lot of people I know, which is most people drink to celebrate or have fun. Whereas me, I used to drink to calm down and forget. So that there was a point in my life where I was like, you know what, this isn't serving me very well anymore. Yeah, we've had fun. And yeah, we've got up to some mischief and been a bit silly. But now it's a time in my life where I feel like I really want to see what I can do when I'm not under the influence, you know, like I want to see what I can do as a chef and and a person outside of being a chef, how my confidence can grow from not using alcohol as a confidence booster. That was
0: uh, Jamie Roberts-Johnson um, head chef at Everybody Eats uh, speaking about uh, the fire and emergency campaign there in their book You're Cooked. Now Viv in Tairua Kia ora, Viv, thanks very much for sending this in um, sent a, a message in Atamaria Nathan, uh, solution to don't drink and fry air fryer and then Viv writes quite extensively about air fryers and I'm like oh Viv yes, yep yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you on the air fry train. Uh, there we go Viv's very into the uh, Memphis Tegel chicken burger at the moment, you can get those, those pack do you know what as well? Try the the Nashville's, the the, the tenders. They're very, very good. So uh, thank you very much, Viv. Yes, uh, the, the air fryer, I, I guess, is a, a far, far safer option. 1726 mm-hmm. right now. I'm Nathan Raridi here at First Up on RNZ National. Yes, Yes, it is. Uh, uh, still to come, we ask a legal expert about the ramifications of the case of the baby whose parents won't let him be vaccinated with blood from anyone who, uh, who's had the COVID vaccine. Also, we're going to find out about space travel coming to the South Island. Time to speak with the professionals of uh, Morning Report and stepping up to bat. It's Corin Dan. Oh, it's stepping up to the penalty spot, I should say. Kia ora, Corin. Oh, who'd want to do that, Nathan? So good.
7: It was torturous watching Japan and just felt so sorry for them. They just looked like they hadn't done enough uh, penalty shooting, actually, Japan. Um, Yeah, we'll keep an eye on the the FIFA football, of course, this morning. It just rolls on, doesn't it? Uh, Morocco nil all with Spain at the moment. Uh, We'll look at the fire service this morning. That big deal for professional firefighters, that big pay deal, which is pretty comprehensive. Uh, So some uh, good news for those in that sector there. Uh, The baby uh, story, obviously, the Mm. issue around uh, vaccinated blood uh, will continue we'll get a wrap-up from our health correspondent Rowan Quinn as we await that reserved uh, decision in that case we'll also uh, look in uh, talk to Christopher Luxon about the latest polling uh, result which is pretty positive for the National Party and Act they look like they can comfortably form a government according to that one news canter poll so he'll be in for his weekly uh, chat this morning we'll talk about that and obviously Potential coalition partners, uh, ACT obviously, maybe New Zealand first, uh, will National work with them or not, mm. uh, and AI is the other thing we look at, this, uh, this new chat GPT which is causing all sorts of uh, interest to this AI function that can write your essays and do your work and all that sort of stuff, so how scary is that?
0: yeah. There we go. You have to do it with a robot now, not just hire someone and underpay them. There we have for experience. Thank you very much. Hey, this is interesting. A space travel company in the South Island is one step closer to getting an aeroplane into space. We call it an aeroplane? Into space after receiving a whopping $20 million funding boost. Oof. Dawn Aerospace, which is based in Tekapur, uh, received the investment from a private interest. The company's co-founder, Stephen Powell, joins us now. Stephen, is it? do I call it an aeroplane or is it a rocket?
10: yeah we we call it a space plane because it's kind of halfway between a, a, a plane and a um, and a rocket.
0: Okay, does it take off from a runway or does it just blast straight on up?
10: yeah so we're, we're based in Christchurch but we fly out of a, a runway in Glen Tanner actually um, just up halfway up the side of uh, Lake Pukaki. So yeah it, it you know it's horizontal takeoff and horizontal landing just like you you imagine a regular aircraft is. I mean that's really the story of it. In general, it's an aircraft in every way, except for that it has the performance of a rocket. And that allows it to get up to the edge of space, just like the first stage of a regular rocket does. It doesn't quite go into orbit. So it's not like the space shuttle where, you know, the whole winged vehicle is in orbit around the Earth. But that that first stage does go up to space. at sort of 100 kilometers altitude and comes back down and lands at the same airport it took off from.
0: So I'm just just trying to get it in my head here because I know we saw uh, I think there was a Bezos rocket and then it might have been a, the Virgin rocket that went up as well. Is it does it get to a similar amount of or height and or altitude as those two?
10: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so a similar altitude as them. Or um, lots of people will be familiar with how SpaceX get to get to space. You know, it's a two stage rocket. That first stage kind of does the same thing as the the Bezos rocket or the Virgin Galactic one. You know, it just kind of does this big hop and comes back down. But the second stage gets released um, and that does, um, you know, another long burn um, to get actually into orbit and deliver a satellite to orbit.
0: So, yeah, I was about to ask that. So you mentioned they're delivering satellites into uh, orbit. So is it mainly for that? Will you be doing space tourism as well?
10: Yeah, so like the initial market right now, it's all about getting stuff up and, you know, satellites to orbit to be able to do, you know, uh, communications and Earth observation from space. Tourism is something that lots of people are talking about. Um, pretty unproven whether there's really a market there or not. where We're pretty focused on the on the real stuff for now.
0: Right. Okay. There we go. It's a better investment, isn't it? I mean, like, um, you know, a lot of people obviously in New Zealand, uh, Rocket Lab's got a pretty decently established name now in space technology. So tell us about your company. How long's Dawn been here
10: for? Um yeah, Dawn's been around. We were founded about four or five years ago. Um, we've got um you know two aspects of the business. There's that space launch side. It's about getting stuff from Earth up to space and in and much more scalable and, and sustainable ways. Um the other side of the company, which is really revenue generating, is um is all about the um providing transportation solutions from in space to everywhere else. So that's uh propulsion systems that satellite builders put into their satellite themselves. You know, even once the satellite gets deployed into orbit, it'll probably need to do some sort of maneuvering. You know, they're often launched as a, you know, one of many satellites on a constellation. So they need to do things like orbit phasing or maneuvering relative to one another. Um, at the end of life, they, they don't want to become space junk. So you need to deorbit yourself. So you need a propulsion system to, you know, get out of the way or burn yourself up in the atmosphere. Um, so, we build the propulsion systems that satellite builders put at the heart of their satellite to, to give them themselves maneuverability. Yeah.
0: Well, Stefan, thank you very much uh, for your time this morning. There we are. Dawn Aerospace, the aerospace industry becoming uh, quite a uh, thing here for for New Zealand. And the, the launching of those satellites, which uh, I, I guess they act as like very expensive courier vans, uh, getting uh, that up uh, into flight there, but it is uh, quite lucrative. It's interesting that, isn't it? It's Dawn Aerospace there based in Tekapur. Well, as you may have heard, a baby who badly needs a heart operation but whose parents won't let him be treated with blood from anyone who's had the COVID vaccine still can't get the care that he needs. So after hearing in the High Court at Auckland yesterday, Justice Galt reserved his decision on whether the court should be granted legal guardianship of the child. So the court was again picketed by dozens of anti-vax protesters who falsely claimed that blood from anyone who's been vaccinated could cause the baby harm. Mark... Hennehan is the uh, University of Auckland Law Professor and Associate Fellow of the International Academy of Family Lawyers, joins me now also the former Dean of the University of Otago Faculty of Law, which is great. Mark, tell me this, why would the judge reserve his decision when time is so
11: pressing in this case? Yeah, I mean, I presume the judge thinks there is enough time, but um, it's it's quite a, a delicate decision, I suppose, and the judge wants to pitch it right rather than just do it i'm i'm, I'm sure it would be done and uh, justice gulp's a very good judge and i'm sure he'll get onto it first thing this morning because you're, you're right it, it, it's an urgent situation the longer it goes, the more risk to the child in this particular case but it, it is a delicate one and i'm sure he wants to pitch it pitch it right because there's a lot of a lot of sort of tension hearing to probably word it right oh, okay right
0: so can you tell me about other cases which could be used as precedent here
11: well, well the, general, the, the key case that the judge will be looking at is a former court of appeal case where the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, challenged the uh, court saying, we have a right to express our religious belief. And I think lying behind some of this is our uh, religious and other beliefs. And therefore, we cannot manifest them if the courts interfere uh, with that. Uh, the court of appeal ruled fairly clearly that while you have a right to manifest your religious belief, the child's right to life, which right to life is one of the rights of our Bill of Rights Act, it goes above that and comes first and so they they really set a test which said that um, they would intervene in cases because they don't like to do it, only where the child's life well-being is in serious jeopardy, which you can argue it is in this case, and there is no other reasonable medical or therapeutic treatment available. And I think what the uh, parents are arguing, parents' lawyers are, there is other medical treatment available. We could use a bespoke blood test in this case. We could use um, the blood of someone who's who's going to donate it. The, the, The view of the hospital lawyers is that that's not the way it works. Um, You've got to go through testing and make sure the blood's safe and all the rest of it, and there wasn't t- time to do that. And if we had to do that in every particular case, it makes the blood service impossible to, to operate. So that's that's the kind of tension in the argument in this case, Nathan.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, it's not like the blood's kept in vaccinated or unvaccinated lots, is it, there? I mean, like, no, you know, bespoke blood tests are very hard.
11: And also there's a, there's a lot of screening that goes on because there's always risk. You know, people have to fill out a form but you don't know whether they tell what, what other histories they've had and various things. So the blood has to be absolutely safe in these cases because putting blood in that you're not 100% sure is safe is is very dangerous in that, in that particular case. So the blood in the blood service is very... And the blood service has got a lawyer there arguing the case, saying that, first of all, they say the blood's not contaminated anyway because it's been tested and screened and all the rest of it. Uh, and so they, they feel this blood is per- perfectly adequate and should go ahead. And the parents have used this... The parents have used this blood in an emergency case earlier on when the child needed some blood. Uh, they just want to have the choice in this particular case, but it's becoming another emergency case. So it, it is a good sign the parents, when it gets close when the child really needs it, will will we'll agree to this particular blood. That, that That's a good sign. They just say there's time to, to, to use blood, which they feel would be, in their particular, would be even safer.
0: You know, there's, there's a child's life at stake here. Uh, and what's happened is, is it does become very politicised with a lot of things there. What what will it actually mean if the court is granted uh, guardianship in this case? Because I, I wonder, uh, you know, does that mean that the police have to come and seize the child if the parents won't comply?
11: Well, guardianship is the ultimate sort of parental right, which you make all decisions about the child. So the court becomes the guardian. It has immense powers in that respect. Yes, if you don't agree with the court, you're in contempt of court, so you could be put in jail. We just hope that never happens in cases like this, but you can be be put in jail. And there's been cases in the past where people have left the medical thing and the medical people haven't followed up. There was a famous case where, where for the religious beliefs, they wanted to treat him with natural remedies, with poultices, and a little boy died. And and sadly, in that particular case, the the parents were charged with... uh, with manslaughter because they they really didn't listen. He needed a vitamin B injection, which would have saved his life quite easily, and they, they they didn't want that. Um. So so in this particular case, the court does have strong powers to to remove the child and 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 uh, convict the parents of contempt of court. Now we really hope it doesn't come to that. And I think these parents are, are reasonable enough to communicate. They've already used some blood, so they that they they do really realize that in certain cases you have to go ahead, otherwise that little child's going to, going to die. But they're, they're trying in, in the intermediate time to try and get the blood they think, in their particular view, uh, will, be, will be safer for the child.
0: Would there be concerns that if, let's just say these images, and I'm thinking of, gosh, I remember I think in Florida, in the, it might have been in the 2010s or something, there was the the, the child Elon that was seized by you know uh, border officials and that. that. That sort of thing, is there worry that uh, if there are images captured of the baby being taken from the mother by authorities that it can fuel conspiracy theory movements associated with the case?
11: Oh, absolutely, yes. That, that's the real worry. I mean, that's the thing you want to avoid it at all costs. I mean, the courts have made it very clear in all these cases where they've had to intervene that they will do the minimum interference. They so they they do respect parental rights to exercise their own rights, but but when it comes to a child's life, at that point they say the child's. Well-being in the child's life is more important than anything else at that particular point in time, and we hope we don't we don't get there. We hope that, and that's why I think the judge is taking the time, Nathan, to make sure the decision is not putting the parents down in any way. That they're trying to make, in their view, what they see is the right choice, and, and 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 explaining to them in a way, if, if the judge goes in that direction, um, that that makes the parents feel they've been heard properly and understood, rather than kind of we didn't listen to you, um, we, we 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 don't agree with your beliefs, etc. Those things there. That that's what really creates that sort of anti the system did not listen to us, didn't understand us so that's why I think the judge is, is crafting the decision so whichever way it goes it it's makes sense to everyone involved
0: Okay, Thank you very much uh, for your information there this morning there we go, Mark Henehan, um University of Auckland Law Professor and Associate Fellow of uh, the International Academy of Family Lawyers uh, it is a very delicate case there uh, of course, and uh, I guess we just all really hope the the best for for the child. Uh, Mary has written in, dear Nathan, where is our Pam? Highlight of Wednesday, indeed the week. She, it's on holiday, uh, Mary. So yes, there is uh, no Pam there as well. She's back in New Zealand to promote a TV documentary on gangs, which is going to air next week. Yeah. Morning report is next with Marnie and Corin. From all of us here at First Up, don't drink and fry. Have a wonderful day. We're back in your ears, our purple.